The motivation for this paper that I'm going to talk about today stemmed from the desire to take the concept of plurality seriously, both philosophically, but also in terms of its practical implications. In other words, what it means at the political level. And what I'm presenting today is basically an early draft of what I hope will be a longer piece of work. So I'm really interested to hear the feedback and some questions that you have afterwards. So, the term plurality is somewhat in vogue of late, and yet, arguably, its implications were not taken seriously until the philosopher and political theorist Hannah Arendt addressed them. Arendt, I believe, displays a genuine engagement with what plurality has to offer in terms, uh, in terms of intersubjective constitution at the political level. In the course of this paper, I argue the consequences of this calls, one, for a theoretical reframing of the conditions of political action and interaction, and two, it forces us to rethink the nature of pluralistic coexistence. This theoretical reframing facilitates a deeper understanding of life in the political realm, which differs from the traditional understanding in terms of the Cartesian subject. This paper will look at the phenomenological influence on traditional um, notions of reality and subjectivity and how these terms subsequently undergo um, intersubjective transformations culminating in what Arendt calls the actualization of human plurality. Thus, while human plurality may present challenges such as how does a notion of solidarity fare against the reality of difference and uniqueness contained in everyday communal life and practice, I believe a phenomenological investigation of plurality provides a compelling approach to some of today's most vexing social and political problems. To extract the full potential of what plurality has to offer, we begin at the conceptual level and systematically iron out the theoretical implications of pluralistic existence and the methodological challenges it presents. Therefore, part one discusses the philosophical project concerning the nature of reality. It will discuss the platonic legacy in terms of a diremption of experience and intellect and its vestigial remains today. Part two explores the phenomenological tradition using the transformation of specific terms as a guidepost Terms such as appearance and world are considered here from the perspective of a foil against prevailing idealisms. Finally, a more radical turn is taken as we introduce in greater detail the work of Hannah Arendt, having set out the conceptual landscape in the previous two parts. In terms of my own contribution, we will analyse these pluralistic implications in light of forming solidaristic relations, which the notion of plurality could be seen to undermine. The idea of plurality plurality that Arendt tries to capture is one which, in spite of a seeming conceptual contradiction, different but equal, separate but unified, remains faithful to the phenomenon of political life with others, that is to say, the lived experience of intersubjectivity. Ultimately, Arendt's contributions culminate in an innovative ethics of participative plurality, which has far-reaching implications for current social policy, such as fostering solidaristic understanding and cooperation, and managing international mobility. If one wishes to understand the path philosophy has taken, unsurprisingly, one must turn to Plato. When Plato conceived of his so-called theory of ideas or forms, he did more than simply answer the question, how can one thing in general be many things in particular? The so-called two-world theory was the cause not only of a diremption between the real and unchanging world of essences, accessible only through the intellect, and the sensory but untrue world of experience, it was also the beginning of a long-lasting hierarchy between the two. The metaphysical denigration of the experiential world, along with the inherent suspicion of any kind of knowledge based in experience, determined to a large extent the path Western philosophy and metaphysics in particular was to take. 
Nowadays, if one wishes to speak of politics with any seriousness, one must confront Plato's legacy and the long shadow cast by his theory of forms. Indeed Plato's, excuse me, indeed, Plato's journey from the Agora to the Academy is an apt analogy for the subsequent course of the history of metaphysics. Philosophy's safeguarding of the real at the expense of lived experience began with a separation and false dichotomy of true and untrue, real and unreal, knowledge and opinion. One cannot expect to truly know anything in this realm of sensory perceptions, according to Plato. All one acquires from lived experience is mere opinion, which is epistemically inferior to solitary contemplation. We come to the crux of the matter for our purposes here. The dismantling of the hierarchy of knowledge and opinion. The valuation of the contemplative life over the world of lived and shared experience distorted the active life of political engagement. Arendt engages critically with metaphysics as she performs a deconstructive analysis of the false dichotomy between the contemplative life of real and noble essences and the worldly active life of the citizen. The problem, as Arendt saw it, was that the world of the intellect became the point of orientation and the standard for all lived concerns. Plato, writes Arendt, devised a political theory in which political standards were derived not from politics but from philosophy by developing a detailed constitution whose laws corresponded to ideas accessible only to the philosopher, end quote. Consequently, philosophy came to inhabit a world beyond sense perception and appearances, neglecting the phenomenal nature of reality itself. It became apparent, albeit much later, that the rescuing of appearances and opinions was necessary if man truly wished to understand the world in which he lived. Philosophy's attempt to transcend the world of experience and found the realm of human interaction on reliable universal truths entail a denigration of political life. Indeed, the metaphysical hierarchy of thinking and acting has permeated the Western tradition so effectively that only relatively recently has this metaphysical bias been thematized and challenged specifically by the phenomenological tradition, which recognizes and emphasizes the role of particular appearances and experiences, which are not easily reducible to one unified or generalizable appearance or experience. The restoration of appearances to the dignity of philosophical inquiry meant restoring the importance of multiple perspectives on the world. It restored the very nature of reality itself as something lived, shared, and constituted by men in the plural. It resists the traditional idea of the self-sufficient, world-surveying Cartesian subject. Arendt elucidates this picture of the co-constituting nature of reality as she writes, quote, If someone wants to see and experience the world as it is, as it really is, he can do so only by understanding it as something that is shared by the many, lies between them, separates and links them, showing itself differently to each and comprehensible only to the extent that many people can talk about it and exchange their opinions and perspectives with one another over and against one another, end quote. To use her own description, Arendt can be read as a phenomenologist of sorts, precisely because the role intersubjectivity plays in the constitution, um, in constituting a, a shared world. <coughs> Phenomenology, then, appears to stand in stark opposition to certain metaphysical tendencies which seek non-manifest explanatory causes. Rather, phenomenology places appearance and the manner of its given as center stage when attempting to understand the phenomenon as they unfold in the world. In other words, phenomenology lends philosophical importance to the realm of doxa, the it seems to me, or opinions. Indeed, the perspectival nature of the world leads to the very constitution of reality as something which is shared and talked about, even when those who are speaking disagree. Therefore, the old metaphysical distinction between being and appearing is just not pertinent. 
Arendt avers that excessive force, excuse me, excessive focus on methodological problems and metaphysical distinctions between being and appearing have led to the neglect of lived concrete concerns. The abandonment of phenomenality and its subsumption under something substantially enduring has led to the generalization um, of the destruction of the particular phenomenon because thinking in terms of normative processes deprives phenomenal facts of all general meaning ignoring the phenomenal givenness of a plurality of worldly entities. Arendt sympathizes, excuse me, Arendt sympathizes with Husserl's conceptualization of man's ability to make the world his home, which lies in the intentional structure of consciousness. That is, objects in the world are intersubjectively constituted and confirmed. Arendt, excuse me, Arendt states that since, quote, every act of consciousness has by nature an object, I can be sure of at least one thing, that I have objects of my consciousness, end quote. However, political events are phenomena in a special sense, and phenomenal space cannot be made accessible to a phenomenon to any method, uh, as a phenomenon to any method of objective theory. Arendt, in turn, draws decisively on the Homeric understanding of appearances and spectators when it comes to the motivation to appear and make oneself at home in the world. Arendt reactivates the idea of performance by conceiving um, it as a contained meaningful act linked intrinsically to the appearance before spectators, that is, before others. The guiding intention was that only the recovery of the realm declared meaningless by metaphysics could provide a way out of the nihilism implicit in all metaphysical theology. Thus, intersubjectivity or plurality guarantees reality, that is to say, living beings are of the world. In the final section of this paper, I wish to explore what all this means in the phenomenal sense, that is, as a practice. It is at the level of practical implication that I introduce the topic of plurality and its interrelatedness to certain forms of solidarity. A conceptual difficulty is often perceived between the notion of plurality and solidarity. That is, how can I, how can I actualize my uniqueness and singularity and yet build solidaristic bonds, which are too often founded on isomorphic conditions? That is to say, solidarity is often founded on what we have together, what we have in common together. This perceived difficulty between notions of plurality and solidarity is, I argue, superficial and can be overcome by invoking the phenomenological tradition. In order to introduce this topic, I will follow a distinction Arendt herself employs and use the notion of a who versus a what when we speak or even think of individuals and their singularity. She writes, quote, we cannot inquire into the what of a man in the way we can inquire into the what of a thing. We can only inquire into the who of a man." End quote. Arendt's conception of plurality is similar to the who-ness of Dasein, that is, its irreducibility to being a thing in the world. This distinction gets to the heart of what plurality means in the political sense. The distinguishing feature between a plurality and mere diversity is its irreducibility to any one thing, it resists all ideological categorizations. Plurality is a structured manifold. In other words, it is constituted in such a way that no one component dominates. If we can speak of human nature at all, it is in the idea of human plurality. This is best exemplified at a social and political level in terms of group structures and we intentional relations in the form of solidaristic bonds. To borrow a distinction from Sally Schultz, and one which I believe is implicit in Arendt, there are two forms of solidarity. Solidarity based on homogeneity and political solidarity. Political solidarity doesn't uh, simply rely on essentialist and thus exclusionary notions of identity, and it's not arrived by way of pre-given fixed and homogenized identity categories. 
and it's not something given in advance as a prerequisite for action. Arendt, through the implicit notion of plurality contained in her work, provides us with the theoretical resources to think of solidarity as non-repressive and shared out of political commitments, resulting in the ability to form groups beyond any natural given communities through judgment and taste. Genuinely phenomenological solidarity, as solidarity in plurality, is thus not something simply concerned with an ever-increasing amalgamations of people, but with the condition of people living together that exceeds this or, this or that particular community or society. This is what Arendt terms the self-manifestation of plurality of human beings. Human beings do not, do not merely differ biologically in terms of a species, uh, what something is, but as a who someone is, that is, as individuals or subjective centers of activity whose unique interlocking perspectives constitute the world. Arendt writes, quote, for us, appearance, uh, something that is being seen or heard by others, as well as by ourselves, constitutes reality, end quote. Action without a name, without a who attached to it, is meaningless. This potential individuation is prior to any um, culture or community and is not endowed by society, but is a fundamental constituent of human existence. Therefore, we reveal our unique perspectives through speech and action, and in so doing, we also actualize our own plurality, revealing what is unique and irreducible about ourselves. The concern for a deeper understanding of human interaction is both philosophically motivated and grounded in experience of the world and gains existential weight in light of modern crises characterized by increasing alienation. The phenomenological ancestry of concepts like appearance and world undergo what Appel calls intersubjective transformation in Arendt's work. The phenomenological tradition buttresses this, transformation, this transformative turn to the life of politics, leading to what Arendt calls actualizing plurality. But the value of plurality is also what is taken to be its drawback, in that it resists assimilation tendencies and so seems conceptually incoherent when it comes to theorizing. Yet this difficulty dissipates when one reflects on simple lived experiences of the world with others. By way of concluding this paper and opening it up for discussion, I end by asking a series of questions. Is it possible that I can live through an experience of phenomena that does not lend itself to easy, excuse me, easy conceptual articulation or even defies such articulation altogether? If a plurality of constituents uh, leads to a multiple incommensurability as well as an epistemological incommensurability, does it mean it holds no value to theory? Or does it lead, as Arendt believed, to the forgetting of lived concrete concerns? Thank you. <laughs>